Yeah, Nystrom. Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh, my. Did Mick plant one on C-card? Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bob Gartner goes right to King Plattenberg. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. Welcome back to Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box. I am your host, Joe Lazito. So the purpose of this episode was to bridge episodes where I, I actually had guests on. Um, I thought I had a guest lined up for this past Monday and then real life got in the way. Uh, work schedules conflicted and it's completely understandable. Uh, for Unfortunately, the guys I'm interviewing, although they earned many, many, many millions of dollars in theory based on their actions and the way they played uh most of these guys are still working after they retire because they were not paid commensurate to their heart and soul and the effort they gave on the ice so uh, that guest will be booked at a later date i wanted to um i didn't really have anyone that i wanted to book last minute I, I just felt it was a, a disrespectful type thing I wasn't going to ask anyone and say hey this guy I couldn't I couldn't hook up with this guy can I, I talk to you now no when I when I book a guest I want to uh, give them the full treatment give them the respect they deserve nobody is a fill-in for anybody else so um, I thought maybe I'll just go the two weeks without an episode but then I had the great idea. I said, hey, you know, uh, I have some really uh, passionate friends that listen to the show. Uh, I don't believe in the word fans. I don't, uh, I don't, I'm not, uh, uh, I'm a ham and egger. I don't have fans. But uh, I have some really passionate friends that listen to the show. And it would be cool maybe to take some questions from people. And, um, and I was like, yeah, why not? You know, that would be, that wouldn't be a bad idea. And then. Saturday, I started feeling a little shitty, but it wasn't anything uh, anything I couldn't handle. And then uh, Sunday, about 24 hours later on Sunday, I had a fever that spiked up to 104, and I was basically bedridden for uh, the next uh, week or so, next few days. So uh, this episode had to wait. So um, this is the episode that should have been released on Monday, and today is Friday, so uh, I do apologize for that. So basically, the gist of this episode is uh, I asked for some questions, and uh, I'm going to answer them, and hopefully uh, I make it as entertaining as possible. So anyone who knows me knows that uh, family comes first. So uh, we'll start the questions with uh, a question from my wife, my wife Andrea, who wants to know how amazing is your wife and uh pretty amazing i think if any of you listened to the last episode 
And you heard my uh, ramble in the beginning about um, my wife having a Dean Ewan game you stick and uh, that she won that uh, I, that was the moment I knew I was going to marry her. Uh, I think you I think you got enough out of that where you know how much my uh, my wife and my family means to me. Uh, she's the love of my life. I'm very lucky to have her. And I don't remember my life before you, dear. You would know that if you listened to the last episode, which I'm sure you did not. But uh, you are the wind beneath my wings. Second question from Dominic Lazito. The question is, will you tell your listeners to subscribe to Anonymous Potato 825 on YouTube? So to anyone who's listening to this, please go to YouTube and subscribe to Anonymous Potato 825. That's my son. My son is a Fortnite lunatic, and he makes these videos, which I think are commonplace now where people, uh, listen, I, I don't get it, but people play the game and they narrate what's going on in the game and I guess you learn stuff from them and uh you know I I watch all the videos because it's my son I don't know what I'm watching but he narrates through them and I love uh, I love hearing him tell the story of it so yes please go to YouTube and subscribe to anonymous potato 825 the next question is from my friend Corey um if I if you were running the aisles, what moves would you make to make this team a contender for the cup for years to come? So, if you remember last year, we had um, the Blues and the Bruins in the finals, and the Blues and the Bruins, they sort of play. Um, I, I mean, it's not throwback. Nobody in this league now plays a throwback style, but the Blues and the Bruins. Uh, they play a more physical game than most of the teams in the league uh, play nowadays. Now, if you remember, last year Tampa Bay pretty much ran through the league in the regular season. And then, if I'm not mistaken, they got swept in the first round by Columbus. So um, there are teams that are built for the regular season and there are teams that are built for the playoffs. As far as the Islanders go, um, I, I like what they've done. Uh, obviously, you know, having Barry Trotz as the coach and Lou as the GM, uh, can't argue with that. I, I mean, I have been a fan of Barry. I'm not going to say I followed Barry's career from when he was five years old, but, uh, I, I have followed him since he was coaching in Portland because that's where Kevin Kaminsky and Kerry Clark and Brian Kerr and, uh, where they were playing. So, uh, that was my introduction to Barry and obviously anyone that follows the game, knows that he's probably the best coach in the league. I think he's the best coach in the league, but I don't want to seem biased. So I like what Barry and Lou have done with the team. Obviously, the first need this team has is to add more scoring. I would definitely try to figure out a way to add some scoring. Obviously, when a fan gets involved and he's talking about trades, they always want to trade the crappiest players and get the other team's best players. But um, I don't think this team... I don't think the team is, is that far away in the sense that they they need to add some pieces, but they they need to add some offensive pieces. I like the defense. I like the young the young defense. Uh, they have some nice nice players coming along. Um, I'm not a huge Varlamov fan, and I'm 
to me, the jury's still out on Sorokin, obviously. This organization has been over backwards for this kid who has not played a minute of NHL action. Uh, I hope he's as good as advertised. I am a little concerned that he isn't based on the fact that he's in a league where he's on a pretty loaded team. And um, I'm not sure the actual caliber of competition he's facing every night is going to translate into uh, NHL caliber, which I'm sure isn't. But Lou decided that uh, they were going to move on from Leonard, get Varlamov because apparently he's buddies with Sorokin and that would make the transition easier. Uh, to me, this isn't quite when the Islanders uh, got John Potvin to make the transition for Dennis Potvin a little easier. But I have to trust Lou. I'm not a big Varlamov fan. And Sorokin is, uh, you know, like I said, the jury's still out. I love the tandem they had last year. I mean, let's be honest, Leonard, it was a great story, but the guy played his ass off last year too. So even if there wasn't the whole story behind him, just take it on the ice. Leonard and Grice were fantastic last year as a tandem. You had uh, probably the the best tandem uh, in the league last year, and then you, you had to go mess with it. But um, I guess the, the short answer to my long-windedness wind, is they obviously need to add some scoring. I would love to see something happen in the offseason. I, I don't follow the league enough to know who's a free agent, um, but they definitely need to add some scoring. And then it's pretty much just sit and wait and hope Sorokin is as good as he's supposed to be. I still have my reservations, but we'll see what happens. I, I'd like to follow the model of the Blues and the Bruins where you play a more grinding style because that seems to be what takes over in the playoffs and um you know, the the Blues did it last year, and it was a great story. So let's see what happens. Um, but I don't think they're that far away. There are nights where they seem like they're a million years away. But top to bottom, I don't think they're that far away. They definitely need to add another scorer, though. Anthony, he says he definitely wants to hear about the Tough Guy magazine days. Um, he still has them. Let's hear how I graded them. Um, must have broken my balls to, to work at it back then. True labor of love. Yeah, absolutely. So um, for those who don't know, uh, there years ago, hockey stars would put out uh, annual magazines called Tough Guys, and uh, they would rank the enforcers uh, in order 1 to 20, 1 to 25, and uh, you know break down the season that they had, the fights, the snag, rank them in several categories. And I worked for Bruce Bennett Studios, and one year it came out, and I, I listen, I'm like every other fan. I would get it. I would love the issue, but I would disagree with a lot of it. And because um, they got their photos from, from Bruce's studio, I knew the guys that did the magazine. And one year, um, I think I just threw it out there and I said, look, I'm, I'm a big hockey fight fan. I think that I could add something to this issue. Um, if you're interested, let me know. Um, and I think they paid me a couple hundred bucks, whatever it was. I honestly, I would have done it for free. I mean, it did take a lot of time to do it, but I, I mean, it was, I was a lot younger then. And, um, I, I mean, I would just watch this stuff, you know, forever. So, um, so the next year when it came around, they said, yeah, sure, this is how we want to do it. And, uh, you know, similar to years past. And basically, uh, Anthony, what I would do is literally get my um, 
VHS tapes from the season before and watch every fight on the tape. Now, obviously, if it was two middleweights going that didn't have a chance of being ranked, I'd fast forward through that. But I probably made notes on, no kidding, maybe 35 guys because when I'm when I'm starting to do the rankings, I don't know who's going to be in it. So I don't want to be halfway through and notice, hey, this guy's actually done really well. Now I have to go back five tapes and start taking notes on all the fights that I didn't take notes on. So even though it was ranked 1 to 25, I took notes probably on 35 or so guys and then had to whittle it down. Uh, and yeah, for you know most of those years the season compilations were probably at least 10 tapes. So you're looking at 20 hours plus, because most of the time they were more than 10. But you're going through 20 plus hours of footage and you're writing it down. And um, I didn't have a computer back then. So everything was kind, kind of handwritten and I had to take my scribble notes and then come up with the countdown and um, write my notes. And uh, then basically what would happen was I would get on the phone with one of the guys and we would go over everything. He would uh, take my notes and then put them into uh, the text that you would see uh, under the uh, under the rankings. So that's uh, that's really how it happened. I did it for, I think, about three or four years. But yeah, like you said, definitely uh, this was pre YouTube. So it was it was. Listen, it was fun, I'm not going to lie, but it was a lot of work and a lot of time. So that's basically how it was uh, how it was done then. Uh, Anthony also asked, how about any Islanders fights that turned the tide and won the game for the Islanders in history? Like a quiet game that they were losing, then a fight sparked with a win. I know there were some, some just can't think of any off the top of my head. Uh, gee, you know, my memory isn't what it once was i mean obviously yeah there there had to have been some every team has them in their history um i jeez you know i i'm so bad with this stuff i can't think of any off the top of my head that actually turned the tide um you know like when i when i think of the islander fights that meant something you know the first one that comes to mind is the nystrom and jim corn one where jim corn was uh messing around with pat lafontaine and nystrom came in and tuned him up pretty good um, or just the older fights against the Flyers where the Islanders were establishing themselves. But um, as far as the question goes, I, I'm going to fail you on this one because I honestly can't, I honestly can't remember um, anything off the top of my head. And I'm sure once I'm done recording, I'll remember it. And maybe not, though. My old man memory betrays me a lot of the time. So I'm sorry about that one, Anthony. Uh, Bobby asks, who on the Islanders will be traded at the deadline? So obviously this would have would have worked had I recorded on Sunday and put this out on Monday. I, I could have guessed who was going to be traded at the deadline. Um, but if I, I would have guessed Andrew Ladd would have been my guess. Um, and he was actually rumored to be in a deal with Minnesota. Uh, the, the word was that Ladd was going to go to Minnesota, and J.P. Parise was going to come back this way. Both have monster deals, and uh, apparent, and both waived their no-trade clauses. So as Islander fans, the, the good part about that is we're actually, they're actually a legitimate team now where, where people are actually willing to waive their no-trade clauses to come here. 
And that's a big step up because for years this team was not on anyone's list of destinations. But now you have people that are actually willing to waive their no-trade clauses to come here. And I think the news broke today where the Parise and, and Andrew Ladd thing was part of a bigger trade, where, uh, which I think it's pretty insane, where the Islanders were going to get um, Parise and Koivu and they were going to send Ladd and uh, Bellows and a pick, maybe a first-round pick to Minnesota, which to me would have been absolute lunacy. And uh, But I think Koivu uh, put the kibosh on that one, so thanks to him for that because I don't, uh, I don't like that trade at all. And then the other thing I didn't realize was that Parise has, I think, five years left on a deal where I think he's 35 already. So uh, I'm not that upset that that trade didn't happen. Of course, they did get Pajot from Ottawa, and in two games he has two goals already. And uh, he stepped in the other night for Del Cole and uh, dropped the gloves with a guy twice his size in Truba. So obviously uh, Pajot has a big fan and myself and in this household, everybody that watches the game. So uh, I like the way that trade has worked out so far. But like I said, Ladd would have been my guest, my guest, my guest to who would be traded, and he wasn't. So, uh, but uh, that would have been it. I wouldn't have minded seeing them trade a few other guys, but I don't run the team. Uh, second question from Bobby. Who was your favorite Islander growing up? Well, I had two. Uh, Clark Gillies and Bob Nystrom. I know that probably shocks everybody, uh, but uh, those, were my, those were my two favorite guys. I did really like Brian Trottier too, um, but uh, I think I, I've said it in the past. You know, when I was a kid, we had... Um, you know, our regular living room television, color TV, and then I had this little 12-inch black and white TV in my room where I would watch the uh, the games on. And, you know, it, it's exactly what you would picture a little 12-inch box TV to look like, small black and white TV with the regular antenna. And I just remember Clark Gillies just looking so much bigger than everybody else, and he looked so menacing with the beard and all that other stuff, and it just kind of seemed like he owned the ice. Now... I'm sure he did a lot of nights, but again, I'm looking at it through my my uh, you know single digit year eyes and my my uh, early teen eyes. So um, he just seemed like he was the boss out there, and so I, I someone I gravitated towards. And then he would, of course, beat everybody up, especially back then. Like I'm sure, you know, I would have said, "Well, he slipped against Ben Wilson, even though he didn't." Well, I was a kid, so that was my guy. And then Nystrom for sure. I mean, he was just. It's probably something to do with the fact that he fought everybody too and he had the hair going and, uh, you know, it was just, he just seemed like every time Bob Nystrom was out there, something happened. So so those, uh, I know it's shocking for everybody to hear that those were my uh, my favorite Islanders growing up. Uh, next question, was Billy Smith the best goaltender to ever play for the Islanders? Yeah, for sure. He's, he's one of the best ever and um he's my guy i would go to if the game's on the line i would definitely go to him uh billy smith definitely the best goalie to ever play for the islanders next question montreal is known for putin uh boston is known for chowder philly is known for cheesesteaks what about long island well let's first start with philly philly is definitely known for cheesesteaks and for those of you going to philly uh, I lived there for 10 years, and I know the marketing would like you to believe that uh, the best cheesesteaks are at Pat's and Gen or Geno's, and that's just not true. The best cheesesteak in Philly is, in fact, at Tony Luke's. Uh, so please, if you go to Philly, definitely 
look for Tony Luke's before any other ones. They are the best, and they're actually in the uh, Phillies ballpark as well. Uh, I Pats and Geno's, they're institutions. Don't get me wrong, I'm not putting them down, but um, neither make my top three. So I'm going to tell you that um, Tony Luke's is number one. Uh, number two, I don't even know what it's called. It might be called Joe's. I'm not positive. It used to be called Chinks, and Chinks Steaks, were, that is also an institution. It's in northeast Philly near the Taconi Palmyra Bridge, and it's it's in a neighborhood. It, it, if you blink, you miss it when you drive by. Uh, the place had been there for years. The guy who opened it up, his nickname was Chink. Uh, he was not Oriental, and but as is... Uh, and actually, I'll, I guess I'll give them credit before the PC cancel culture is what it is now. Uh, they they really uh, forced them to change this name years ago. So um, it's unfortunate. Like I said, it's a Philly institution. So if you're near the northeast uh, part of Philadelphia, I would definitely, like I said, I think it's called Joe's now. But just Google Chink Steaks and, and it'll come up and uh, you'll find out. As far as Long Island, Long Island... Um, I would say probably our bagels. Uh, there's a bagel place on every corner on Long Island. Uh, and by the way, it is on, on Long Island, not in Long Island for people who aren't from here. Uh, I would say bagels. I would say bacon, egg, and cheese sandwiches for sure. Um, and I mean, we have probably, uh, we have great Italian food here too, but probably bagels. And uh, well, I would say traffic on the Long Island Expressway, but I think you were really talking about food. But uh, So I'll go with bagels. And best pub, um, I'm sure there are plenty of people who can answer this better than me. I'm not much of a drinker. I enjoy a cold one every now and then. Usually I'm at home. So I don't have a best pub. I would say the uh, sports bar slash restaurant that uh, my family enjoys the most is a place called Miller's Ale House in Levittown. Uh, we love that place, so uh, I'm going to uh, say them. So, moving on from my friend Darren Southpaw on Twitter, at Fourth Line Voice, who, as you've heard me say a bunch of times, is the godfather of the hockey fight podcast genre. Um, when you did the ranking in the Tough Guy magazines, what ranking did you get the most shit over? Had to be Parker. Yes, so... Darren and I go way back to the old hockey fight message boards. And every year when the Tough Guy magazines would come out, uh, obviously it was definitely a, a hot topic, uh, you know, for a while on the boards. And it was pretty cool and people would love it. And most of the time people were respectful in their uh, criticisms or disagreements with the rankings. And that was fine. I, I, I don't really care. You know, if people want to be assholes, that's fine. Even to this day, I couldn't care less. Ironically, Darren makes me laugh almost daily with his Twitter arguments with people. They're actually pretty funny. Uh, he's he's a lot better at that stuff than I am because I just don't care. But I do love his uh, I do love his Twitter battles. Um, so yeah, so every year the magazine would come out, and every year there'd be some criticism. I used to get uh, the usual criticism I got was. Believe it or not, um, uh, you know, I must work for Tony Twist. He's number one every year. And um, I also got criticism. Uh, Baumgartner was too high. Vakoda was too high. And it was, uh, and it's funny because 
with and even after Bomber left the Islanders, like this, this wasn't a thing. Tough Guys wasn't a thing as far as my involvement while Baumgartner was with the Islanders. So it was pretty much, I think, from Toronto on. But Mick was with the Islanders, and I always remember when I would go over Mick's fights, I always, I probably thought I ranked him lower or higher, depending on how you want to say it, because I didn't want to come off as biased. So I, I always felt like I was conscious of the fact that I didn't want to rank those guys too high, too low, whatever. But if the footage was there, the footage was there. I wasn't going to uh, you know, mess with the guy's rankings because I was worried about criticism. But I do think I was cognizant of the fact that that could be a thing. So people were never happy. There was a guy in Buffalo that used to rag on me all the time because I didn't rank Rob Ray high enough, um, which was fine. And like I said, it's opinions. Everyone's got one. But yes. What I decided to do was the one year I decided that, you know, for the 25th ranking, and like I said, the rankings went 1 to 25, I was going to try to make 25 a little interesting, a little different. And Scott Parker was the, the new bully on the block, and he was a guy that um, was, I mean, probably the hype around him coming out of Kelowna, was i mean it was as it was as big as it has ever been for someone um coming out of junior maybe the the guy before him that came out with uh as much hype was matt johnson maybe coming out of peterborough but uh parker was the next big thing and um i said you know what i'm gonna rank scott parker 25 because he's more than likely going to be with the avalanche next year he's probably not the 25th toughest guy in the league if we're being honest he's probably higher up than that based on whoever was 21 22 23 he if they were to fight parker probably had a pretty good chance of winning so if he had played the previous season he probably wouldn't have been 25 he probably would have been somewhere you know who knows 10 to 20 like i i don't know obviously it's all hypothetical because he didn't play but i figured let me throw scott parker in at 25 you know just some new blood because maybe it'd be more interesting than whomever I had originally ranked number 25. Well, this was the the biggest controversy at the time as far as the magazine went. People either loved it or they lost their shit. And, I, and actually, now that I think about it, the people who lost their shit about things with the magazine, man, that it actually makes me feel good. It actually just shows how passionate the hockey fight community is. So, um, but it was funny, like people were just relentless and I, I, I felt like I had to explain it over and over and over again. Hey, listen, I'm just doing something with number 25 to make it, you know, something different, spice it up a bit. And I think one year I made Jeff Odgers number 25 and Jeff Odgers was not the number 25 guy that year, but that was the year Jeff Odgers uh, was with Boston. And that team sucked shit that year. Absolutely, 100% sucked shit. And they gave up. And the one guy who didn't give up every night, every shift, was Jeff Rogers. And if me putting him in a mag in that magazine at number 25, acknowledging the effort that he put forth that year, meant he got some sort of recognition, then so be it. I was going to do it because he definitely earned it. And then I think one year I kind of split it up uh, like uh, Kyle Friedrich and uh, Gordy Dwyer. I put them at 25 because they were like the new new guys in Tampa. So I tried to do something a little different at 25. And uh, 
But nothing, nothing came close to what I put Parker at 25. Yeah, Darren, that is 100% right. That's the one that, uh, that's the one that created the most stir. But the one that I got the most constant criticism for was the guy in Buffalo who just thought he could do a better job than I could all around. And I think a lot of it stemmed from where I would always put Rob Ray. And, you know, the thing I always said to anyone was, if you think I could, if you think you could do a better job, first of all, maybe you could. I, I'm just like, I'm just like everybody else. I'm a fight fan. So maybe you could do a better job, but I'm the one who reached out to them to do it. They enjoyed what I did. They thought it was good. So they weren't going to replace me, but anyone was always more than welcome to contact the magazine and have me replaced. And it didn't happen. So, but that was always my answer. Feel free to go for it. You know, like it's all good with me. All right. Next question from the hockey fight league. It's fantasy hockey fight league. If Tom Wilson was traded to the Islanders, would you forgive his past sins? (laughs) I love this question. Um, that's actually a tough question to be honest with you. Now, uh, I don't like Tom Wilson. Um, and I, all right, so let's put it out there. This is why I don't like Tom Wilson. Okay. I used to love Tom Wilson. Okay. And I loved his style and you know, it was the kind of thing where I, the the reason why I think I liked Tom Wilson was because he played a vicious style and, you know, let's say, um, maybe he told the line a little bit, um, but he would go overboard sometimes, but, um, I liked him. I definitely liked Tom Wilson. And then something happened and um, it changed everything for me. So in a game against the Islanders, of course, Tom Wilson boarded Lubomir Visnovsky, and he went headfirst into the boards. And that basically ended Visnovsky's career. Okay. Um, now, if you're a tough guy, and as Wilson is, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not tough. Let's, let's get that out of the way. Tom Wilson is one of the toughest players in the league. Um, but, you end this guy's career. You, you, it's a dirty hit. He goes headfirst into the boards. Okay, so now, it's, it's just it's old school now. Now you're gonna have to answer for it. Okay, so, the resident heavyweight at the time is Eric Bolton, and Eric Bolton wants to fight you. Fight him and get it over with. Just get it over with. I know that some of the new age dumbasses don't don't subscribe to that theory about fight him and get it over with, but. Fight him and get it over with. You're you're an enforcer type, and the uh, gunslinger on the other team wants to get uh, get some revenge and uh, hold you accountable for the Visnovsky hit. And what do you do? You can't be bothered. Uh, challenged multiple times in multiple games by Eric Bolton, and won't fight him. Won't go at all. And actually, in the newspaper, uh, basically says that. And I don't know if this is his feeling or if it came from the coach, who ironically at the time was Barry Trotz, that Wilson is too valuable to fight a guy like Bolton. Which I don't subscribe to that at all. But so be it. If that's how you feel, then that's fine. Um, 
he's not too valuable to fight a guy like Bolton. You uh, you ended the career of one of his teammates. Step up and answer the bell. And then you answer the bell, and then it's over with. So after declining Bolton's on, Bolton on several occasions, he obliges Anders Lee. Now, I love Anders Lee. Anders Lee is a great captain. He stepped in for a lot of his teammates with some of these uh, some of these dirty hits or whatever, and he doesn't even blink. He just does it, and uh, I love the guy. But let's call it as it is. Uh, while Andrews Lee is a better player than Eric Bolton, he's not half the tough guy that Bolton is. But it's a safer fight for Tom Wilson. So when Andrews Lee challenges Wilson, he has no problem fighting it. And I really don't want to hear, well, it's a better matchup for Washington if Wilson takes Lee off the ice for five minutes as opposed to a bad matchup for Washington if Wilson's off the ice for five minutes with Bolton. Don't give me that shit. He ended a guy's career. Fuck the matchups. Just be a man and do it. So I love Tom Wilson. And uh, since that night with Visnovsky and then the subsequent games after that where he declined Bolton over and over again but then fought Lee, uh, all the respect for the guy has gone out the window. So I, uh, I'm glad he's in the game. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm very happy that Tom Wilson is in the game. He makes the game more exciting when uh, the Capitals are on TV. And he f- and what he does is he forces your team to dress the toughest players. So I know, well, I should know, but I believe that when the Capitals play the Islanders, Ross Johnston should always be in the lineup, and for the most part he is. So um, my disdain for Tom Wilson probably will never go away. Now, the original question, if he were, were traded to the Islanders, See, that's a tough one because Tom Wilson brings a lot of things to the table. Tom Wilson can play physical and, and he can play the game. Um, I, I honestly don't know. Um, to give you an example, when uh, after the Islanders and the Penguins had their, their big brawl game back in 2011 and Gillies got suspended for a bunch of games, the first game he came back was against Minnesota and crushed Cal Clutterbuck with a hit. Crushed him. Clutterbuck went down, stayed down. Gillies got kicked out of the game, got suspended again. As soon as the ref's arm went up, Clutterbuck got up and didn't miss a shift. And that stuck with me. And I was like, this fucking guy, that's crazy. Now Gillies is going to get it in the ass again, you know? And um, lo and behold, what happens, the Islanders end up with Cal Clutterbuck. And now he's been great for the Islanders. But it's always in the back of my mind, like, fuck, this is the guy that, help fuck over Gillies you know I mean he's just again he stayed down for a hit he didn't have to stay down for and I I know it's his job but that that's in my memory banks from 2011 and now Clutterbuck's been with the team now a few seasons and I still can't get out of my head so um I guess gun to my head I would say would I forgive him I'd, I'd have to say no um I'd have to say no I wouldn't forgive him I I think um I think we'd have to arrange for a sit down where we could uh, air our grievances and um, and then maybe, but uh, I'd have to say no. I don't think I could forgive him. So next question, um, Twitter account that you should all follow when Probert was king. I mean, absolutely an amazing account. Just ranked the top 100 fighters. I think it was 100. It felt like it because it was 
the detail was just insane. 50, I'm not sure. I sh I'm not prepared, but it's definitely worth it. Um, the Twitter handle is at S-R-E-H-M-1. Trust me, go there and look it up. A chock full of hockey fight goodies. Um, what are your thoughts on the current state of and the evolution of the hockey fight hobby? From VHS tapes and catalogs in the hockey news to the internet, DVD, social media, the old forums, etc. Just curious about your thoughts on this most pressing of issues. <laughs> wow. All right. So as far as the hobby goes, um, it's it, I don't know if it, uh, it even exists anymore because we... I mean, obviously, there are still those of us that have our uh, our old tapes and DVDs. And I actually, to be honest, liquidated my DVD collection uh, probably by about 80% a year or two ago. It just uh, They were just collecting dust, and I didn't really have the room for them. Um, but I have the stuff. I have all my originals and, and the stuff that's important for me to keep. So um, – it's just different, you know, back in the day where you'd either, uh, like I, I remember um, when I was, f first time, first hockey fight tapes I ever had, ironically enough, you go to the back of the hockey news and there's an ad for hockey fight tapes. So there's no email. You got to call this guy and you basically call. And I remember uh, me and my buddy John from around the corner uh, was we would call and order tapes, and it was two tapes, yeah, minimum of two, seventy dollars, and okay, no problem. And they were just you know NHL compilations, uh, you know, just assorted fights and everything like that. And um, you sent the money order in, and I believe the guy's name was Phil Davis. That's who we got the tapes from. And I met him years and years later at an Islanders game. It was actually against Washington because I remember they had just uh, they just got Chris Simon from Colorado, and he was in the game. I remember that it was uh, it might have been his first game since he got acquired, or it was one of the earlier games at Washington. And I had met him, and uh, you know, yeah, his name was his real name wasn't Phil Davis, believe it or not, but uh, that was obvious. But um, the hobby is different now. I mean. You know, you had to work back in the day where you put these tapes together and uh, or you paid for them or whatever. And now you just go to YouTube. And, you know, it's really a shame that we didn't have YouTube back then, but we didn't. But it also made us work for it, and I think we appreciated it more. So, um, and, and also with the lack of fighting nowadays, I wonder how many people are actually still in it. I know they're... There are the hardcore guys like us that are in it and the, the circle of us. And uh, if you go on Facebook, um, there's a Facebook group that Alec from Five for Fighting runs. Uh, it's called Best Hockey Fights and Brawls, I think. Um, again, not much uh, not much prep into this, uh, as you can see, but I think that's what it's called. And he's got a ton of members in there. So there's still a lot of us out there that enjoy the fights. I just don't know how many, how many people are left that are, are our age that... Um, that, you know, lived through the hobby days where it was you send money orders to people and they send you tapes or you make your own tapes and uh, you trade them with people or, you know, for uh, speaking for myself, I was fortunate enough to meet some, some of the right people um, along the way where it was uh, getting the game footage and, and putting together, um, uh, you know, team fight tapes from, from the game tapes. That was always a lot of fun. That was like Christmas Day. So... Um, so I don't think that the uh, 
I don't think the hobby has evolved. If anything, I think it's devolved where we're all kind of, you know, longing for the old days. And, uh, but it, you know, I, I love the fact, I think what it shows is that we're hardcore and, um, and it's the stick to of, of those of us that are still into it. So, um, I mean, to think about what we used to do pre-internet and then when the internet first came around with the message boards and how we used to trade and and it was just, I think we all probably had the same reaction when we, we went to Fried Chicken's Hockey Fight site. Holy shit, there's a bunch of people out there like me and some of them are probably crazier than I am. I'm pretty sure we all had that reaction. And you just see there's a world of people out there that are just as crazy about hockey fights than you are, as you are. So um, if we had social media back then, I think it would have just been bananas, um, uh, you know. But, um, you know, uh, it, like I said, the one thing it shows is that there are some of us out there that are still pretty hardcore about it. And, um, you know, maybe we could teach these young people a thing or two uh, in terms of passion, because I don't know, I see some of these kids nowadays, I don't know if they're really passionate about anything, but, uh, I hope that answered your question. I know I rambled on for a bit, but I think, uh, I think that might've touched on that. Um, speaking of, uh, uh, Alec, Five for Fighting podcast question. What was your favorite Islanders fight you ever got to see in person? Was it one fight, a brawl, a brawl filled game or both? I was thinking about this, and as I was thinking about you know, my favorite Islander fights, they all seem to have been on television. Um, remember, I spent 10 years in Philadelphia, so there were not many, um, not many games that I saw. Uh, in that 10-year span, the only games I saw live were the ones that I came back home for or the games that uh, the Islanders played in Philadelphia. So... You know, I, I got to tell you, I, I, was, I was really thinking about this. I was really thinking about this. And I guess the, the ones that I've come up with, I, I think I, uh, I know I mentioned this during one of the Vakoda, during the Vakoda interview. I just don't remember which one it was, maybe, maybe uh, episode two. Um, I was at the game where they played Buffalo and um, Kevin McGuire uh, did something to Mike Stevens, roughed him up or st sticked him or something, did whatever it was to him. Oh, no, no, he slashed him. He took a baseball bat swing at him and slashed him. And because um, now I'm remembering why, because you heard it. You're in the stands and you hear it, even with the din of the crowd. You hear this thing and it's like, boom. And then you just see Vakoda just go over and skate and, and handle Maguire. And, it, you know, it was just, I think there were a lot of those where it was just guys sticking up for each other. Um where you just kind of enjoyed it. I mean, like I said, when I think of, of the memorable fights, um, a lot of them I just remember that, you know, I wish I was I wish I was at the game where, where Ken, Karen's beat up Corson. I wasn't. I wish I was at the game where he manhandled Sandy McCarthy after all the stuff that had gone on with him and McCarthy and Theo Fleury. Um, but I wasn't. Um, you know, I will say back in the day, uh, the one year I had season tickets for the Islanders was ninety ninety one, and that was the full season of Mick and Bomber. And those games were always fun because they pretty much dressed for every game that they were healthy for. And it was pretty much just a matter of was anything going to happen. Um, those were fun. 
Uh, you know, I was at the game where Vakoda beat Domi, and then he did the belt thing. Um, well, he, you know, he didn't do the belt. It depends who you ask. I think he did the belt thing. Mick says it wasn't the belt thing. But people thought it was the belt thing. Uh, I was at that game. That was great. That was definitely um, a lot of fun. Uh, probably the most fun game I had ever been to actually was uh, Springfield Indians winning the Calder Cup against Rochester in 1990. Um, that was amazing to be there. And uh, hopefully I, I'm going to hook up with John Forsland in a week or so when Carolina comes here, uh, the former voice of the Indians and the current voice of the Hurricanes. And uh, I'm hoping to talk some old Indians hockey with him. We'll definitely talk about that. So, um, And obviously I wasn't at the game against the Penguins, the brawl game from uh, February of 2011, which was actually the night before everything happened to me on the subway. So I wasn't there, but I will say the cool thing about that was a couple of weeks later, um, the Flyers had us at a game, myself and my family, and uh, I got to meet uh, uh, Bob Kelly, and he gave me a jersey with my name on it. And uh, after the game, we got to go to the locker rooms and um, Capuano was a coach, Jack Capuano, and he's like, hey, come on in the room, say something to the guys. And I just, I was like, I was like, guys, I just have to let you know that Penguin game, you know, for me as a fan, I was so proud of you guys, the way you guys came together and uh, stood up for each other. And uh, I mean, I have I had goosebumps watching the game. I have goosebumps now. And it was just phenomenal. And I remember Kanopka going, yeah, I bet you like that one. And I was like, yeah, it was fucking awesome. So, um, again, I wasn't at that game, but, uh, you know. So, like I said before, uh, to Anthony's question about Islander fights that turned the tide, I'm sure I'll remember it after this. But, um, you know, like I said, the the Vakoda-McGuire uh, fight stands out for me. The Vakoda Domi fight stands out for me. Really, that whole season where I was a season ticket holder stands out for me. But uh, um, you know what else? It just came to mind right now. I remember uh, I was at a game against Toronto, and I think it was Robbie DeMaio's first NHL fight. It was against Al Secord of, of Toronto, and he did really well in it. And I didn't know a ton about DeMaio, and I certainly didn't know he could hang in there with a guy like Secord. Um, that was fun. And then a, years, a couple of years later, he's going toe-to-toe uh, with Darren Kimball when Kimball was with St. Louis. So, I mean, these are all, all memorable fights. And uh, for someone that's old like myself, I've seen a bunch of them. But those are just some of them that, uh, that jump out at me. And, uh, you know, being in the, in the uh, Coliseum for the exhibition game when uh, Devils played the Islanders and to see Dean Ewan, you know, skate on the ice and have a have a fight with David Maley. Um, you know, that was cool on a personal level, you know, seeing him because he, you know, unfortunately never got the opportunity to play a regular season game. But, you know, to be there in the in the stands while he's playing a exhibition game and then like I said, fighting Maley, that was pretty cool. You know, on a on a, like I said, on a personal level, that one means a lot to me. So um but there's a bunch of them. Hopefully that that gives you some insight. Uh, from Steve, I can't think of any quality questions, but what about should Mick Vakoda have his number retired? I say that because he gave his heart and soul for the team. He always wanted to stay with the team, even in the lean years. 
He was proud to wear the Islander crest. He bled for the team. Enforcers are a big part of the team, too. He played a big role. He was a leader. There is nothing that says you have to be a Hall of Famer or 50-goal scorer to have your number retired. So uh, for those of you who weren't around here during the lean years, when, when he says lean years, they were lean. And when he says that um, he was proud to be an Islander during those years, yes, he was. And nobody wanted to come here during those years. Now, um, I know I know Steve really well, and he's really passionate too. So if you're thinking that he's he's maybe kidding about the Vakoda thing, he's not. And uh, if it was up to me, you know, if it was up to me, I'd say, look, if you had a guy like Mick that played all those years with one team, and you know, put his life on the line for all his teammates, man, I wouldn't have an issue with that at all. Well, I guess the only issue I'd have is I'm stubborn and old school and I'd want number 38, but obviously he's better known uh, as number 12. But we all know that will never happen. A team will never retire a number of uh, an enforcer unless it was someone like Clark Gillies who ended up being in the Hall of Fame or Bobby Nystrom who's Mr. Islander. It's never going to happen. Um, you know, if Detroit didn't retire 24, um, I don't think, I mean, there's plenty of guys even from the seventies where you can make an argument for, because not only what they did with their fists, but these are guys that took regular shifts and, you know, like a guy like Chris Nyland. I mean, why not? Now I don't, I don't, I'd have to check and see how many games he played for the, cause he bounced around from Montreal to New York, uh, Boston and stuff. But uh, with Montreal, Chris Nyland was, he was an animal and he, and he scored a lot and he was an all-star one year. So, um, I think teams nowadays would be reluctant to do something like that because then you open up a whole can of worms about, well, could you retire a guy's number who had X number of goals where there were players that maybe had more goals than that in a season or you're promoting violence. I mean, you know, the world we live in now. So there'd be a whole bunch of roadblocks or something like that. I don't know if you, you know, if you retire his number, I again, I wouldn't have a problem with it. But you know what I would love? It, and again, I don't think a team would ever do this, but it'd be great if they just had a night where they honored the uh, enforcers from the team and, uh, you know, from the whole uh, span of the team, of the guys that could make it, uh, the guys that are still around. That would be pretty awesome to kind of acknowledge the job those guys did. So uh, I don't think that... Uh, Number 12 is going to the rafters anytime soon, uh, but I'd love to see it. Uh, another question. What other numbers should uh, the Islanders retire? Uh, Bob Bourne, Pat LaFontaine. So the reason why this has come up is because the Islanders just retired 27 for John Tonelli and are retiring uh, 91 for Butch Goring this weekend. Um, Steve knows I'm a monster Pat LaFontaine fan, and, and it absolutely sickens me that not only is number 16 not retired, but that it's in circulation. And a lot of, you know, a couple of guys have worn the number that I love. Dan LaCroix, he wore number 16 for the Islanders. Craig Berube, he wore number 16 for the Islanders. But um, number 16, absolutely 100% should be out of circulation. Absolutely 100% should be retired. And I hope, I hope someone comes to their senses with the team and retires it before they leave the Coliseum for good. It really, it should be raised to the rafters at the Coliseum. Uh, Patty was an unbelievable player for this team, and a lot of the times he did it without much help. Just, I, I mean, forget about, you know, uh, the numbers, which are staggering. 
uh, also what he did in the community. And like I said, many times he was doing it by himself, and he was the face of the franchise. And, you know, just, I mean, he was the, after all the the dynasty guys retired or retreated or whatever, I mean, it was Patty and, you know, the next wave of guys, and it always seemed like his line mates were kind of revolving and um, still didn't matter. He still put up the points. He was still still a great player. I mean, a Hall of Fame player. Best American player, in my opinion. Uh, again, call me biased. I don't care. That best player, uh, best U.S. player uh, that there has ever been. And absolutely 100% number 16 should be retired. Also, yes, Bob Bourne's number should be retired too, number 14. Um, unsung. I mean, these guys like Tonelli, like Goring, like Bobby Bourne. Uh, how, I'll give you another one. How about number six, Ken Morrow? Um, these guys are all unsung players on really good teams. Uh, Bob Bourne, again, key part to the dynasty. Ken Morrow, number six, key part to the dynasty. Um, absolutely 100%. I think the issue is, and it's not really an issue, it's just what are, you know, the outside, on the outside looking in, what are what are people going to say? Because, um, you know, if you look at numbers, like again, I don't know Bob Bourne's career numbers. What I do know is what I saw and his contribution to the team. And, you know, like I think people were even questioning John Tonelli's number being retired, which is just uh, idiocy. If you saw him play, you would never question it. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Number 14 definitely should be retired. Number 16 definitely should be retired. And I'll even throw one on there for you, Steve. Number six, Kenny Morrow, should be up there, should be retired. Call me crazy, call me a homer, call me whatever you want. I don't care. Um, I think the number number banners, uh, some people say that some teams do it too, too much. Some teams don't do it at all. Uh, but for me, you know, I think the the retirement, the number, jersey number retirements, easy for me to say, are as much for the fans as they are the player. And, um, you know, like John Tonelli's number went up this week. And I don't know how many times John Tonelli's going to be at the Coliseum, but the fans are there every night, and they get to look up, and they get to remember John Tonelli along with the other legends that are up there. So uh, it's just as much for the fans as the player. And I don't think anyone with a brain on their show, on the, in their head and the head on their shoulders that watch Bob Bourne play, that watch Ken Morrow play, that watch Pat LaFontaine play would say, no, they don't deserve to have their number up there. So um, definitely... Uh, yes, Steve, those guys should definitely be up there. Uh, Dukers 14, Dukers in there. Twitter, which trade, did, which trade did the Islanders make that made you cry the most? All right, so this one I gave some thought to because there wouldn't have been that many. It's not like the ones with the fights where um, there's just so many. Um, there, there are two that stand out. First one... Um, it wasn't, it wasn't a trade. I think it was just the way he left, uh, was Eric Cairns. Um, Cairns, I think a lot of times, and it's not really brought up too much anymore, but at the time it was, I think he was scapegoated, um, against, uh, Tampa in the playoffs. And, um, it was, the writing was kind of on the wall that he probably wasn't coming back. And I just didn't, you know, it didn't sit well with me, um, how it was portrayed in the media. Um, and I, I think he 
bore the brunt of a lot of the criticism, but you know, it, it was to me, it was wasn't warranted. And um, I think that I don't want to say that was the beginning of the end, and I'm not blaming the media, but um, you know, Cairns is a guy that I've known since he was a, a kid with the Rangers, and when he became an Islander, that was a pretty big deal for me. And um, to see it end that way after all the battles that he had and the way that he developed as a player and everything else, it was that was a tough pill to swallow. Um, but I would say the one I handled very poorly, like a baby, was when Baumgartner was traded to Toronto. Um, I was a lot younger back then, and I was... Yeah, I was pretty much a fucking baby about it. I mean, I think a lot of it had to do with him leaving and who they got in return. Um, Because I liked, obviously, I loved Bomber. And I really liked Dave McElwain. I I really liked him. I thought he was was a solid player, a pretty good player. And then in return, it was uh, Claude Loisel and Daniel Merwa. And to rub salt in the wound, not only does, you know, you get, you get rid of Bomber and you bring in a Daniel Marois. And then they give Marois 24, which obviously they're not going to hold out 24 for anything. I mean, that number was worn by a bunch of guys. But one game you're watching and Bomber's out there in 24, and then the next game you're out there and this little Daniel Marois out there in 24. It's like you couldn't get polar opposites as far as uh, players. But um, And I guess Loisella and McIlwain were sort of interchangeable, but I, I like McIlwain. So... Um, so I didn't like that trade at all, and I made no bones about my uh, displeasure with it. I think to the point where my friends that I sat with in Section 329 were probably like, enough already, he's fucking gone, let it go, like uh, like a scorned woman or something. But that was probably the one that I didn't, I, I didn't necessarily make me cry. I didn't shed any tears, but I was pretty pissed about it. So uh, that would probably be that one. And then the last question... From Greg Inkpen, who, by the way, has an, an amazing book about uh, John Brophy. I would definitely recommend it. You should look it up. Uh, best fight seen in a rookie game. Maybe even break it down by facility. Can Air Park, Coliseum, etc. So um, I don't think I was ever slick enough to see a rookie game at the Coliseum because those rookie games were always the day of uh, regular exhibition games. So if the Islanders are playing the Rangers at 7 or 7.30 that night, you'd have an Islander-Ranger rookie game in the afternoon. And those were close to the public. And um, I don't I don't think I was ever slick enough to see a rookie game at the Coliseum. Although, for those of you who've listened to the interviews, there was that one particular rookie game against the Rangers that uh, I probably would give my right arm to get in a time machine and go back and witness. But um, I don't think that I ever saw a rookie game at the Coliseum. I've seen plenty of exhibition games. So the rookie games I would have seen would have all been at Kaniac Park. And I think more than the rookie games, because I know I I saw a Devils rookie game at Kaniac Park, and I saw a Rangers rookie game at Kaniac Park, at least one of each. But I think what I went to more than... The rookie games uh, were the uh, the blue and white games, the Arbor Cup games, where it was the uh, the uh, inter squad games, and they would uh, they'd break them up into four teams, and they would have like round robin tournaments, and those games got kind of violent too, uh, because you had guys there 
that were looking to make the team. So um, I'm trying to think. I mean, at that point, a lot of the the bigger name guys weren't really fighting, and in, in like uh, you know, Mick was, was established at this point, so he really wasn't playing in the rookie games uh, when I went to them. Um, but you had guys like uh, like Dean Ewan and Rod Dom and like all those Springfield guys and the Capital District guys. Um, they were they were in these games. I remember Dean had a fight with Louis DeBrusque in the Ranger Islander game, and I remember Dean had a pretty good fight with uh, Rich Pilon in one of the blue and white games. So um, I don't remember too many others, although I know I, I know I had seen a bunch of them. Um, I think the thing I just uh, I just when you bring, when you ask me that question, I just think about. Kaniac Park and like when I when I discussed it with uh, with Mick and it's just if you were an Islander fan at that time once you learned that the Islanders held their practices there and they were open to the public it was like holy shit this is incredible because now you you were you had access to your favorite players and um, I don't remember when it was that uh, well, I, I, I mean, I know it was when I started driving. I would uh, a lot of times I would head there after school when I was going to St. John's. Um, I would go there, and it was just it was just cool. Like you walked in, and um, you just see the guys and everything. And most of the time, there, w- there weren't too many people there. Um, I remember one day I went there, and there, uh, seriously, the place was wall to wall people, and everyone had gifts and balloons and stuff like that. And I found out it was uh, Pat Lafontaine's birthday. And it was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen was um, after the practice, um, LaFontaine walks out and he's just surrounded. I mean, literally swarmed by people. And you could just see it in his face like, holy shit, like it was overwhelming, but in a good way. And I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. And he just looked at everyone. He's like, wow, you guys, this is amazing. Could we just make a line? And I want to make sure that anyone that, you know, basically just if you are giving me something for my birthday, I want to make sure you get the appropriate amount of time. And that blew me away. So I was obviously there to see Mick and Bomber and whoever else, maybe DeMaio or something. But so after everyone followed Pat to his car, there were maybe two or three other people there. So uh, then I just uh, would bullshit with the guys. But uh, but Kaniag always brings back a lot of great memories. Um I remember the time I think um, Mick had put shaving cream in DeMaio's shoes. There was a couple of ways out, and one of the side doors from the locker room, I'll never forget it, just slams open, and it's Mick running out, and he's like, no autographs, no autographs, no autographs, and he's just running, running, running to his car, and right behind him is DeMaio holding his shoes, and you could see shaving cream in them, so uh, that was pretty funny, but... uh, I think the, out of all that stuff, the coolest thing I never I, I, that I'll always remember, I'll never forget, was um, I was I, my back was to the ice. I was walking down the hallway, and all of a sudden, someone hit me on the ass with a stick, and it was Al Arbor. And we had spoken a few times, and he remembered my name, and he's like, "Hey, Joe, how's it going?" Whatever he said, it was just hello, but he said my name. And I was like, holy shit, the greatest coach in the history of hockey slapped me on the ass with the stick and asked me how, how it's going. And I was th- that was and that was just amazing. I mean, I love Al. I mean, the players love Al. I'm just a fan. I love Al. And I was like, 
that's fucking great. Like, holy shit. So, um, Kaniac Park, I think for guys our age and, and ladies um, that were there, uh, bring back some really amazing memories. And um, I'm glad I, I'm glad that I, I always say I'm glad I'm the age I am now because I had a, a lot of great experiences, uh, a lot of them hockey-related. And, and uh, Kaniac Park was definitely one of them. It was a very cool place to go and watch the team practice you had access to them and if you wanted to have get autographs or you want to just you know shoot the shit with them and everything they were very accessible so um i'm very happy that kenny air park is a was a part of my uh young adulthood late teens and, and young adult because it was uh it was always a lot of fun so that's it for the questions uh i really appreciate anyone who took the time to send in a question I, I hope the answers were entertaining and I hope the answers were informative. So uh, hopefully I answered uh, everything that you, uh, well, I, I know I answered every question I got. Hopefully I answered them to uh, your satisfaction. So now today's Friday, February 28th, and I want to wish a very, 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 very happy birthday to my brother from another mother, Mr. Dean Ewan. Today is his birthday, and I want to wish Dean a very happy birthday. I know that uh, a lot of the guys on his job site listen to the show. I really appreciate all you guys listening. So uh, go up and give him a big hug. I know he loves, loves hugs, so definitely give him hugs. I know he can't get enough of those. As a matter of fact, even if he's working, there's nothing he likes better than to be interrupted while he's working for a man hug. So please, everybody, give him as many man hugs as you can. Okay? And uh, happy birthday, Dino. I will uh, give you a call later. And uh, just so you know, even though this is being released on a Friday, the show is still a Monday release. And uh, I just finished a fantastic interview with Mr. Brent Severin. Um, he's such a fun guy to talk to. He's a goofball, uh, real, real great interview. I mean, I think I laughed half the interview, so, um, I loved it and I, I think you will too. So look for that on Monday and until then, I hope you people have a great weekend.